Psalm 65. Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders, where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water, to provide the people with corn, so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges, you soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and sing. If you want to, if you have a Bible with you and you want to open it, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, the first five chapters of 2 Kings are absolutely jam-packed with really well-known Bible stories. So, for example, in those first few chapters of 2 Kings, we have Elijah taken up to heaven uh, together with the chariots of fire. The actual chariots, not the song. Maybe they did have the song, I don't know. Uh, So there's Elijah going up to heaven. Uh, We have the story of the widow's jar of oil that didn't run dry. We have the story of the Shunammite son who was then brought back to life by the prophet. And we have the story of Naaman whose leprosy was healed. So that's all. Oh, we also also have that rather strange, morbidly comedic story about Elisha being mocked by some youths for his baldness. And Elijah curses them, and then two bears just appear out of the woods and maul the, the youngsters. And it's like, I've, I've never really known what to do with that story, other than to say, maybe don't mock someone for when they're going bald. <laughs> but there is another story in chapter 4 of Two Kings that we might not be so familiar with, but it will sound very similar, very familiar. I'm just going to read it to you. So this is Second Kings chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. A man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe corn, along with some ears of the new corn. Give it to the people to eat, the prophet Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate, and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. So a man, in that reading, brought a traditional harvest offering. Um, It says it was the first of the crops, 
Uh, so in other words, it was brought as an offering to God. So he brought it to the, God's prophet, the prophet Elisha. And Elisha told them to take it, his servant to take it, and feed a huge crowd of people with it. And the servant thought it was um, impossible. But the prophet told him, give it to them. And when he did so, they all ate and there was more left over. Now that sounds very familiar, of course, because it reminds us of what Jesus Christ later did on an even bigger scale, of course, when Jesus told his disciples to feed thousands of, of people with loaves and fish, and they all ate, and there were baskets full left over. Now, there's a lot we can say about these stories, but it's interesting that the two kings passage is connected to, to being grateful for the harvest in particular. The man, as I say, he brought, we're told, the, the loaves of the first ripe corn that he had gathered. In the Old Testament, as you may know, that was the custom, the law, in fact, you bring the first fruits of harvest to God. Why? Well, because if you do that, the very first things to ripen that you pick, you bring them to God because you're acknowledging to God that the provision of all the rest that you would gather, it was all from God. None of it would be there if God hadn't created and given it. So that it was a really important custom to, to remind everyone, just like we need reminder, that actually everything we have comes from God and we must say thank you and I think therefore it reminds us that where we often it's often where we start where we begin that then shapes everything else we do you know in the Old Testament they had to begin first of all the first fruit you bring to God then you gather the harvest and do what you need to where we start where we begin can shape what we then go on to do this man before he did anything else with his harvest he brought a gift of thanks to God through the prophet, a sign that first and foremost for this man, he had recognized it's all a gift from God and that we must therefore treat it as such. Now, unfortunately, our culture doesn't always encourage us to think in that way, does it? We're often taught that what, what you have is all yours uh, and that the point of life is then to get even more of it for yourself. Uh, more money, more things, more resources, more of what you want. So instead of starting, instead of our culture, often we don't start with the idea of gratitude. We often start with competition and envy and outdoing each other, and, and that becomes greed. Now, I'm, by saying that, I'm not saying we're all greedy and envy, envious and selfish, but what I'm saying is we have to be very careful where we begin as the basis of how we see ourselves and how we see our things and how we see our world. If we build a world of people just trying to compete for resources all the time, we will end up with greed, we will end up with some hoarding and some having nothing, we will end up with hostility, even wars. But if we build a world where we start, as God has always said we should, if we start with gratitude, it is all a gift from God, then that can lead instead to brotherhood and care and generosity and peace. So where, where we start matters. So where do we start is the question for, for us at Harvest. Where do we start when we look at what we have, both individually, but also as a human race? We are living, all of us, as guests on this beautiful, incredible planet Earth. I love the way God in the Old Testament said to the ancient Israelites, you are you are my guests, you are, this land is mine, he said, you are guests in it, like tenants. It, I think that's a healthy way to think of this planet. It's not ours to just do with as we please, it is God's world. 
And we are living here and we must look after the world that God has given us to live in. Um, Harvest Thanksgiving reminds us of these things every year. We begin with gratitude because we, we, will have, we have nothing in life ultimately that isn't given to us from God. But there's something else in this story because if we begin with gratitude for what we've received, we will feel also free as a freedom then to give to one another. And when we do that, the story tells us that what we might see as only a little small act of generosity on our part can be used by God to do much more than we ever expected. I love the fact that uh, the story of Jesus, you know, Jesus is described as the greatest gift God has ever given, the indescribable gift, the New Testament says. And I love the fact that that story of Jesus Christ being given to us, the most world-changing thing ever in history, it begins so humbly. It begins... Jesus is not born in sort of great ceremony and pomp and grandeur with all sorts of wealth. He's born in a way that most people didn't even notice. He was born in the dust and the dirt to a young struggling couple as a frail human baby. And that humble little beginning is called the indescribable gift of God to the world. And it made such a difference because, of course, Jesus went on to live his life to show us who God is, to die for us on the cross, for our forgiveness and new life, and to rise again to save us. And then, when he had risen, when Jesus had done everything we need to save us, he said, now you go out and do the same for the good of the world. So what a difference this man in two kings made. His little gift made a huge difference. What an incredible, immense difference God's gift of Jesus has made for us and for our world. And let's make that encourage us to think about even the little gifts that we give and the little things we do for others. God can take them and use them to do much more than we ever imagined or thought. Amen.